This show is a series of conversations amongst really good friends. We come from different generations and have different life situations. And those situations are even changing as we record this. We decided when we began that this might be a helpful conversation for others to be a part of. So we offer this to you as, as a gift. In the words of Dr. Adrian Keene, we have decided to consent to learn in public with you. We intend to be mindful, authentic, and responsible with our words. But we also expect to mess up and learn through this conversation. Take a look at America today. I wish I could give you better news. That I am suspending my campaign. 300 delegates behind Vice President Biden. And all this little thing is going to have to And the path toward victory is virtually impossible. For some of these other candidates to get behind Joe Biden. I'm looking forward to getting started as soon as we can. My name is Addison Christie Domsky. Yesterday, I got a TikTok, and I found out that there's a person on there whose name is Addison, and I got deeply offended. <laughs> um, I use pronouns like she and her. I am a white woman living in Silicon Valley, raised and rooted in rural America, <laughs> and um, I work as the director of youth ministry at a church. Daniel. I'm, I'm Daniel. <laughs> Daniel Kion Giles, he, him, and uh, I was raised in Issaquah, Washington, and then I traveled the world to rural Pennsylvania and ended up uh, after being in Chicago in Silicon Valley with Addie, who is my wife. Um, she is a Presbyterian, and I am a physicist. Um, I study astronomy. <laughs> Are you laughing at the distinction between Presbyterian and physicist? Yeah, and also, like, are you not also a Presbyterian? Mm, I don't know if that'd be my first adjective. So I, would, I would definitely say I'm not a physicist, but I would also say you are Presbyterian. Yeah, that's on my list of adjectives. Okay. But not like the first seven. Coming out so. is not a Presbyterian. I, I didn't say I'm disagree. not a I actually disagree that it's not on your first seven. Mm. Well... I'll have to write down down later and we'll have a vote. Uh, I spend my days right now as part of a NASA slash SETI sprint program, trying to learn some science using machine learning. Hi, I'm Julia Francis Rademacher Wed, named after a lot of people. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. And right now I spend my days trying to contribute to political change, like grassroots organizations, contacting legislators, volunteering for a legislator, and also in two weeks, oh, a week-ish, um, I'm starting a summer job with a youth safety advisory council. I think we're gonna just tell the police how to interact with youth. So that might be useful. Is the advice um, you don't? don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I don't know exactly what's about to happen, but I think I'm going to be crafting some policy for CPD, which is pretty cool. I don't know if they'll take it, but I'm going to get paid to do it. First time in 13 years, I'm not a student, and I thought I was going to be a student. So that's like a weird identity thing that I'm um, going to use to. My name is Ari Karafiel. Uh, I use he, him, or they, them pronouns. Right now, I'm spending my days hanging out in Eastern Oregon, doing a lot of like 
swimming, biking, walking, walking my dog until she jumps in the bogs and turns into a bog monster. Um, I'm most of the time I am an athlete and an artist and I am a student. I am enrolled in the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Wow. So, yeah. What a, what a good thing for that institution to have you. Hopefully, I'm very, I'm, I'm real excited because I'm able now to transition away from doing work on helping Whitney Young, my, my high school, my former high school, um, become less racist and generally gross and now hopefully I'll be able to do that with SCIC, which is also racist and gross, but in different ways. So. Yurt. Yurt. One system into the next, and it's all part of the same system. Isn't it great? Yeah. Ooh, can I add something? No. Okay. Y'all were all reluctant to let me add something. Um, I also want to mention that I'm a white cis young adult woman who lives on Miami, Peoria, and Pottawatomie land known as Chicago. That's a big part of my context. Hey, 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 this doesn't mean that we are exempt from years of colonizing everything, but we just selected the first indigenous woman to be our co-moderator with a black man for the Presbyterian Church. Yay, yay, yay. It is amazing to see her just leading everything. Just She's so you, great. Just you try and come up with a topic that I can't make about Presbyterians. <laughs> Just you try. <laughs> it's amazing. She's so great. It's just like seven, like or six degrees of separation. But Addy getting topics back to Wait, it's one degree. It's, 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 there's no separation. <laughs> it's in um, Dan's top seven words about himself. Did you know that? It's not. I don't think I. I don't think it is. Okay, so Dan's doing this like this thing where he meets with people online and it's actually very interesting you should ask him about his justice work within this weird institution but uh he starts every day with like a what would you call it like a topic i get to know you i get to know you thing where they have to put it on their zoom background and this week he said that his favorite harry potter book was the fourth one and i like can't believe that i didn't know that i'm really offended I, I mean, but I it's said the fact that I didn't know about him because he comes and asks me the answer to these questions every day. He's like, "What's my favorite food? What's my favorite color? What's my favorite book? What's my favorite movie?" So I'm the one who has to answer these every time, and then I find out that his favorite Harry Potter book is the fourth one. I mean, obviously, no Harry Potter book can stand alone. So I chose one, which I felt was the book that I like to read the most, and where I feel like a lot of the story starts. And it like kind of starts the the end game, uh, I would say. That's my reasoning. So I'm, I don't know I why I'm being like, attacked on this. I feel like J.K. Rowling and like RuPaul are two. Wait, who's J.K. Rowling? Because Harry Potter is written by no one. Isn't right. it interesting how it's, it's a just book an that interesting fact no that J.K. that yeah. Harry Potter know. has no. What's that author? have to do with what we're talking about? Yeah. Well, I've been. And that that that's been an interesting thing. That Meg and I were talking about that on the way up here. Ooh, please uh, do share. Yeah, just like I don't know. I think we were talking about how how like I don't know. Looking back, there's definitely there's elements of Harry Potter where you're like, hmm, that's interesting that you chose to do that. That there's like one Asian character and she's named Cho Chang, and that she's in Ravenclaw. That was oh, yeah. a, that's a little detail. 
Um, Which are two last names. There's an amazing button poetry. Um, wait, does Julia, is Julia bursting to say something? Mm -hmm. There's a great button poetry spoken word about Cho Chang and how racist she is. Julia? Lovely. You appear to be mute. Oh, no, you're good. I just wanted to plug my book club real quick. Um, Cause that's, I'm having a Harry Potter book club. Addie's in it. Um, my friend and I are hosting it, and that's why I want to reread Harry Potter. Is because I've been like, I don't know, I haven't been paying attention to what J.K. Rowling has been doing for a while, and so now that like I'm kind of hearing about it, even though I know that like it's not new, I'm like, hmm, I would like to read Harry Potter and like think about that a little more, and mm -hmm. I think I would have a very different perspective on it now that I'm a little more aware of some things I wasn't aware of when I was seven years old. So. Um, if you want to, you don't have to. I'm just saying, if you want to read it with some people around, mostly around our age and with those perspectives. You're, you're going to have to pay something to have that, that advertisement included in our <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> this is why I want to do that, my idea about doing a PhD on how people negotiate the media versus the media maker, because I'm so, like, Harry Potter is obviously an example for Dan and I, where it's like we're too connected to the world and we don't associate it with the author. Whereas like, uh, like one of my favorite movies, Annie Hall, I will never watch that movie again because Woody Allen made it. Or like we played, as I have ashamedly told you before, Ignition twice at our wedding. And I'm working really hard to stop understanding pop music from the, in the frame, within the framework of, Michael Jackson and I'm like working really hard to separate myself from those things but it's um but I also believe that there are good worlds that like take take themselves beyond the creator and I think the world that other people have created around Harry Potter is really worthwhile so I'm interested in my PhD that I'm going to do one day on why I can separate that but I won't you know separate something else. I think for something, for me, what, like, the different, the, the, the line that I draw between RuPaul and, like, J.K. Rowling, even though both are transphobic and gross in different ways, I mean, like, RuPaul, uh, it fracks, he's, he, he's a whole fracking dude, like, he owns land, and then, and then, uh, he truly does, yeah, I know, when and he said that on show, and, and everyone was like, oh, this is fine, and not, like, a huge, awful thing, anyway, but, like, I mean, for me, the difference is like, I have an emotional, like a pre-existing emotional connection to Harry Potter before I knew that JK Rowling was bad. Or like, I don't know, I feel weird calling people good or bad, but like before she like, I don't know, was- was Vivly so opts to say yeah. bad and incorrect yeah. things. She, continuously against the guidance of community, she continues keeps to using say her bad platform things. Yeah. And her platform, yeah. always, her, her doing that is always, so far bad but i but i did not i mean i grew up with jesus and michael jackson said as much in my house as like they were talked about equally in my house and i did not understand i did not know things about michael jackson that i believe to be true today and i still feel like it's not okay for i i don't i don't feel as connected to that music anymore mm -hmm. so i think there is a way for you to have not known what was going on while it was happening because you're a little kid, because you don't have all the information, definitely because some people aren't paying attention because it hasn't come out yet. Um, and you can still decide I'm going to get rid of this. Definitely. I'm not, I'm not saying like you have to, I just, I feel like versus, versus like, I mean, I mean, RuPaul has been transphobic for a long time, but 
and there's like transphobic things that she's like put into the show um that are that that make me uncomfortable but like rupaul went on this whole thing against like uh uh Peppermint, who, for those of you playing along at home who don't know this, Peppermint is a trans woman and a drag queen um, and who, who competed on RuPaul's Drag Race. And RuPaul was not particularly nice about that yeah. um, and was sort of saying things like, oh, well, as long as she doesn't, like, physically transition, that's, cool. that's fine. But, like, if you, like, physically transition, then you're, like, cheating, as if one drag is about, like, becoming like a cis passing is for cis men to become like cis passing women um which is just not what that's about and also as if like drag itself was not invented by trans femmes and but and and after sort of after that came out i was like okay i don't feel like i can watch drag race and that was the thing of like if i but i know people like in my life that I care about deeply who do still watch Drag Race and who really still like participate in that. And I feel like that's sort of a thing of like, if if you were like part of that before, then I feel like you're allowed to, you're still allowed, you're always allowed to opt out, right? Like I think you're at any point, you're allowed to be like, I don't want to listen to Michael Jackson or I don't want to watch Drag Race or all of these things. But I think if you like didn't have that connection before, like I didn't have that connection before. And so now I feel like I can't start watching Drag Race. Or like if someone who like knew, knew stuff about like R. Kelly or something, but then, but it never listened to R. Kelly before suddenly starts, then I feel differently about that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, from what, what I'm hearing from this is that I shouldn't start watching Drag Race, I guess is what one thing I'm taking away. But also I think the thing I, I mostly am worried about people doing is not opting out of things when they should, which mm -hmm. is why I think we're, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm. Yeah. I mean, like, I, should we opt out of Harry Potter? I think there, say, there are things yeah. that I feel like are, <laughs> there are things I feel like are based on a person's like, um, life and lies and, um, part of like how they betray that trust is like inherently tied to the media they create. Um, and also how much of themselves they put into the media. I feel like Harry Potter and maybe books in general, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just justifying this for me, but I think that it's true and it stands uh, without the author. Um, like JK Rowling was an unknown before writing this series of books. Um, and JK Rowling is not like, her life is not reflected in the books. And it's a true story, or not a true story, but it's like a story that has. <laughs> that and it's has, a true story about a, a true, wizard boy. It's a true so. story, so you can't just get rid of the true facts that did happen. <laughs> but like the the story has has a much broader basis than just J.K. Rowling exists and this came out of J.K. Rowling's mind. It's like based on a lot of different fictions and a lot of different stuff. I don't know. I mean, that could just be me justifying it for me myself to continuing to enjoy it mm -hmm. i i don't feel like uh either talking about lgbtq rights in harry potter was ever a thing so there's not like a ton of like lies that are happening it was also it was always an exclusive thing and it's always been problematic that way i don't know thoughts well uh, Ari, my Britlet teacher, had a perspective on this kind of thing. 
that was like a kind of a nice way to just have a clean cut rule. And I don't think that, um, so it, it only applies, like, it's, um, you have to kind of decide what you want to do about dead people. But basically, the idea is that um, if you like want to- I came in the room at, you have to kind of decide what you want to do about dead people. <laughs> It'll make sense. Uh, <laughs> so I, his thing was like, if you like disagree with like an artist's personal choices or like you think that the artist is harmful, like, and, but you want to consume their art for whatever reason, just like make sure you're not financially supporting them. So like, and that doesn't apply in all the cases we're talking about. But like he gave the example of like, I think it was like a Roman Polanski movie or something where he like went and bought a ticket for a different movie and then like went to see the movie. And like, even though that doesn't apply to the things we're talking about, like- Sorry, I feel like Ari and I just made the same face. Did. That, that was like a thing- Why I would remember. you go to a Roman Polanski movie? Okay, sorry. <laughs> I get what you're saying, Julia. It's a very good point. The way of thinking about it that has kind of helped me a little bit, but mm -hmm. I don't know. That doesn't apply in most of the situations we're talking about anyway. Well, I feel like this um, goes really easily into, uh, should you vote for a candidate that you know is deeply flawed? Um. Wait, I might have already mentioned this. Did I mention? I talked to my friend Taylor, and she says she'd be interested in coming on the show. Um, she, um, on this show? Did you just call yeah. this a show? Called it a show. Oh, I love Taylor. It'd be cool to have her on. Um, uh, podcast. Yeah, she was ranting about Biden. We were talking about Biden one day, and I, she was Amazing. ranting. Yeah. Want to talk about it on a podcast? So she she's down. I want to um say one thing about the. The, the teacher we're referring to, Julie and I had the same English teacher sophomore year um, who had this perspective of sort of like, you can always separate the, like, like he was pretty clear of like, you can always separate the art from the artist or the like media from the creator, like if you want to and if you're thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that upset me a lot. And I mm -hmm. got like debates with him about it. But I think the part of the reason it upset me is like, I don't know, I'm an artist and I think, and definitely like different creators of whatever type like put different levels of themselves and of their story and their life into their work. Um, mm -hmm. My work personally is like, tends to, tends to be very personal. Um, and the idea that someone would try to take like my, like my work and not take me with it yes feels really offensive Ooh. like mm -hmm. that would be if someone did that that would feel disrespectful to me if someone wanted to like, buy my art and like display it or like use it in a way that didn't like honor the 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 story and of the person who created it i wouldn't want to sell that to them right, right. like it's mm -hmm. the, it's about when you consume media you are you're in a relationship with that with the person who made it and like so I think, and so with that in mind, I was sort of like, I don't think whether or not you can separate the art from the artist, I don't think it's right to. Like, I, I think that's disrespectful to the person who made it, right? And, and impossible. It's, I don't think it's possible and I don't think it's respectful to, to try. Um, 
I love what you just said. It, think about the Bible in that way too. Cause some people are like, it's the word. I mean, sorry, we are like, it's the word of God, but also um, we're not, uh, it, I think it is disrespectful and like, it's really, I feel like there's another really good word we could throw in here, but I don't know what it is. It's disingenuous. like disin it's incorrect to assume that it's not also related to the way the life of the person who made it. Mm -hmm. And I love how you said being in a, you're you opt into in a, a relationship with someone who creates something. So did I, I don't know if I said this last time, but I feel like I just told this to somebody that I had an ethics class that there's a book written by um, this guy with the last name Yoder, I don't remember what his first name is. And he wrote on like the radical ethics of Jesus. And then later people found out that he had assaulted his students like for years and years. Have I, did I talk about this last time? I don't think so. So in my ethics class, we were gonna read this cause it's like a pretty standard book for seminaries to, um, to teach ethics on. And my roommate and I were like, um, no, because this man is known to assault people and we can't just not talk I mean, about or that. Or at least like have a conversation. So, so that's what, yeah. It. So that's what we were saying is we could not do this book for sure. But if you think it's so valuable that we need to read it and talk about it to understand Christian ethics, then we have to do it in relationship with the author and being in relationship with someone doesn't mean that you're like, I love everything that you say and think that you're perfect. It's that you notice like we are reading ethics from an unethical person. <laughs> it's saying that. And same with the Bible. It's that we are reading this thing that we think God has given us as a gift. And it was written by men <laughs> and it was written by uh, a society that's uh, this, this, and this. And like, we we know that that's the relationship we're entering into. Um, and it, and it doesn't mean that we don't have to engage with the material, but it means we have to engage with the, the complexity of who created the material. Ooh, ooh. I have a, I have a wonder. Um, I wonder what uh, you think about the idea that art can go well beyond the artist. Not that it can be like broken from the artist. And of course we don't think that, but can it go like significantly far beyond the artist? Like an example I would think of um, outside of Harry Potter is um, like the bean in Chicago. So many people have an experience of that sculpture and the artist who made it hates that it's called the bean, but nobody cares what the artist thinks because the bean exists to so many people um, that it, it has like a genuine ex lived experience through the thousands mm -hmm. and thousands of people who experience mm -hmm. it. Are you, are you asking me or are you just sort of like, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing that out there into the world. Maybe you have a unique perspective on it. I mean, I don't know. Anish Kapoor, the artist who did the bean is an asshole for a lot of reasons. Sure. <laughs> don't like that dude. Um, He's also a complicated person. I mean, you know, a lot of, I don't know, well, a lot of us are complicated people. I think, I think art can definitely go beyond the scope of like, we, and also it can, it can become disconnected, not intentionally in the sense of people like rejecting the creator and then continue, like, like in the way that I know that there are people who are like, I don't claim JK Rowling, but I still love Harry Potter, right? Not in that sense of intentionally trying to reject the author or the creator but but keep the, the work but 
I think there's also a level of just like when something be becomes really like iconic that it like, that it just becomes disconnected from the artist and that like, I don't know how many people, like, like, I don't know how many people know that the bean is not actually like the, the, the official title of the bean is not the bean, right? Um, oh yeah, yeah, that's a good or know point. The author, or know the artist's name and that's not, an intentional thing that's just like there is not really a way to communicate that information to the number of people that like visit it every day that's a good point know. that feels different i guess i don't know it feels it feels like i'm not, i don't know that you have to do a deep dive into the lives of every artist and person behind every piece of media you consume because the reality is we like we are taking in information and media all the time mm -hmm. right like that's just not a, a feasible thing and i think it, it it can also become a level of like i don't know i think i think about especially when you're talking about it from the perspective of ethics i mean like if you think about like the clothes we wear or like the food we eat there's never a completely ethical diet yeah. or way of dressing right you're always screwing someone over and at a certain point it becomes about your priorities mm -hmm. um i don't know i don't know that but i think like i i yes and i don't like anyone who gets food from chick-fil-a like i don't get how you could do that so i don't know if i'm just being disingenuous and like prioritizing who i think i should be annoyed with but i think there are clear examples of divesting from certain things that like it doesn't make sense to me that anyone would go into a Roman Polanski movie. It doesn't make sense to me that you would actively continue to get food at Chick Fil A and tell people about it without being I'm, embarrassed. I'm, I'm not saying that divesting isn't worth it because I think it definitely is. I I think that's a I mean that's it's one of my favorite forms of action. Uh, but uh, I think I guess for for me it also becomes a matter in when you're talking about like the the ethics around different artists and things like that. I'm just saying, I think it also becomes a level of like, is this a, in it a conscious choice? And like the level of like, when you had the information and then you choose to do, like if someone doesn't know all the reasons why Chick-fil-A is bad and they eat at Chick-fil-A, mm -hmm. then, then I'm not angry with that person, right? Because they don't know. But then it becomes a question of when you do know and then you make that choice anyway. Um, so Ari, what do you think about me loving Harry Potter? I feel weird about it. I'm not going to lie. I don't know. Yeah. I, feel, I, feel I kind of saw it on your face and so, then I felt weird hey, too. Sorry for bringing up Joe Biden. I'm not angry with you. You can be. <laughs> I care infinitely more about you than I do about Harry Potter. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I definitely don't have the same relationship with Harry Potter that you do. I think I'm more willing to let people hang on to Harry Potter partially because like, especially specifically among like, I've, I've seen a lot of art and like content created by like queer people, right? Yeah. Queer and trans folks that is like sort of almost like reclaiming Harry Potter. And yeah. I know that for me, I, and not again, not, I don't think quite on the same level as, as you or some of the, the other friends in my lives, but I have friends for whom, who, who are trans for whom Harry Potter was like very life-giving, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so I sort of see that and I say like, okay, this person that I don't like and whose actions I don't support created this thing. 
and it also helped a lot of people that I care about a lot. Yeah. And I don't think I'm in a position, like, I, I don't, I think they have a right to, like, continue to sort to, to criticize the author and also continue to, like, honor this piece of media that for them was really life-giving. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sound dramatic, um, but I do, I have read Harry Potter more than I've read the Bible. And so in some ways it does, it does equate its life. Uh, it, it equates itself in my life to church in some ways, because I have experienced it almost on the same level that I've experienced some sort of religious education. And for me, it was something that, uh, like illustrated, I was the same age as everything was happening. And so it illustrated like being alone and being, um, like an orphan amidst a parenting situation and being uh, feeling like you're left out and, and that no one uh, is the same like class as you or no one like Dan has related in terms of mixed race identity and um, it feels like for years but especially this month it has felt incredibly um, disappointing and like I almost want to cry just thinking of the way that the person that wrote those words that were so liberating for us as children, literally children reading this, who were like two mm-hmm. kids who felt like we were stuck in a, cl- in a closet in a little uh, like kind of abusive like- home situation. Um, it feels really, really disappointing to have the person who wrote that be such a hateful person to people that I love. And I can imagine, like when I think about me saying this right now, I think about people who've left the Christian church and they're like, why would you be in the Christian church? It's been so hurtful and hateful to so many people, why would you be a member of that? Um, So I'm not trying to be dramatic to compare Christianity to Harry Potter, but I do kind of view them as really similar things in my upbringing uh, that like formed my identity. And it is really, um, it has been really painful to see the ways that that, um, that, that it is hurtful to people. Um, And I just want to say that I love you. I love you too. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I think everyone should stop reading Harry Potter. It's, it's been hard and I've been thinking about it a lot and like it, yeah, but I I think especially for me, Harry Potter is a particularly complicated one because like, because the, uh, the, frankly, the people that JK Rowling is targeting is the, is the same group of people that I know felt so like liberated. Like it's not just like, yeah. He's being, I'm like, you're being hateful towards the people that like use your work to feel less alone, right? So it, yes. it feels like in some ways a much deeper betrayal than like, I don't know, I don't feel, I mean, I didn't grow up with Michael Jackson in this, in, again, in the way that you did, but like, I didn't, I don't feel betrayed by Michael Jackson or like, I don't, or like, I don't know, we're talking, we're talking about politicians. I don't feel betrayed by Joe Biden because he never had my trust to begin with. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Like speaking to me to begin with. Right. So I'm sort of like, I don't like you. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I did never had a great reason to. Mm -hmm. So versus like, I don't know, JK Rowling, it's hard because it's like, I don't know, she, she is hurting so many of the, like the P again, the people that like her work directly spoke to. Right. And like specific oppressed groups that her work like directly spoke to. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. So that, that complicates it further for me, which is why I feel like, I don't know, like that, that series in particular feels 
different in some ways than a lot of the other artists that we've you know referenced and talked about mm-hmm. there's this person i follow on instagram their name is gem yes. that is you're doing great it's u-r-d-o-i-n-g-g-r-e-a-t they are amazing uh an anarchist tiktoker oh um, okay i need some good tiktok follows now that i'm part um, of it they're fantastic and like I mean, they're very explicitly like, this is not a racism 101 page and this is not a page for white people, which I really appreciate them being very clear and like yes. setting that boundary. Um, and they post a lot of stuff that like, definitely like some of the stuff I'm like, yes, I agree with this 100%. Some of the stuff really challenges me. And I've been, I, I, I follow a few anarchists on Instagram who like post a lot of content about being anarchists. And that has like definitely shaped me a lot and it feels very challenging sometimes because I feel like it means that some of the media that I'm consuming is like, um, uh, it is very much like you should participate in the system. And then some of the media that I'm consuming is like, you can't like, like this whole, you can't purchase, you can't fix this by participating in it. Um, and, but anyway, so they're doing a, uh, like book club for our prisons, obviously by Angela Davis. And I was like, oh, this is great. And I, so I've been like, just started listening to it and it's really good. Um, I'm listening to an audiobook. Um, but then Angela Davis, sorry, this is a very long way of getting there. Angela Davis just posted this thing that I saw literally yesterday and then I saved, saved it because I wanted to read it here. My position really hasn't changed. I'm not going to actually support either of the major candidates, but I do think we have to participate in the election. I mean, that isn't to say that I won't vote for the Democratic candidate. What I'm saying is that in our electoral system as it exists, neither party represents the future that we need in this country. Both parties remain connected to corporate capitalism, but the election will not, but the election will not so much be about who gets to lead the country to a better future, but rather how we can support ourselves and our ability to continue to organize and place pressure on those in power. And I don't think there's a question about which candidate would allow that process to unfold. So I think that we're gonna to have to translate some of the passions that has characterized these demonstrations into work within the electoral arena, recognizing that the electoral arena is not the best place for the expression of radical politics. But mm. if we want to continue this work, we certainly need a person in office who will be more amenable to our mass pressure. And to me, that is the only thing that someone like a Joe Biden represents. But we have to persuade people to go out and vote to guarantee that the current occupant of the White House is forever ousted. Yep, done. Mm-hmm. Our work is done. <laughs> I love Angela Davis. So for our podcast, we'll just read that quote every yeah. week. Yeah. Until election. I feel weird about it. I don't Why? know. I love Angela Davis and I feel a little I feel a little weird that she said that. I don't know. What did you hear her say? I guess what I heard was the elect like the election is not about making it does not itself make change but the election makes the world like our world a safer place for us to make radical change right where it's about mm-hmm. like not about joe biden like supporting radical politics because he's not going to do that but about mm-hmm. him not like violently shutting down the people who are trying to do so yeah that's what i heard that's what i feel like i heard with that trying to restate and so i'm not just like Mm -hmm. yeah 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 i heard 
I will give no endorsement and I'm going to vote. Yeah, I, I think that she is saying, like, I hear what you said that she's, um, I hear that as well. And I agree to some degree, like the, the things are terrible and the person who's there is obviously the worst. And having somebody not the worst be there is gonna be better. And that's not great. And she's saying she doesn't really support just the not great choice. She's not gonna come out and like uh, campaign for him. But um, she is going to like continue to participate and is trying to, I don't know. I hear what she's saying and maybe, I also I also have one little bit of like, hesitancy because Joe Biden winning is like an establishment victory to say that we don't have to change that much. Like as long as the other party is God awful, then we don't really have to change that much. So I guess I do worry about that sort of complacency. Like it does make it harder to make change because people are less, uh, fired up about it but we don't think that the end of our fight is after joe biden is elected so we don't think that but that's i think you have to align with liberals even though i don't know i'd rather align with liberals than republicans and i think sometimes you have to align with people to get big i don't know i don't know i don't know everyone i think what feels I keep thinking about, like, I read that, and the first thing, well, I mean, because my thing, it felt like it was talking about, like, safety and sort of, like, we need someone who's not going to, like, essentially violently shut down the people who actually want to make change. Like, he's not going to try to, like, kill or imprison all of those people. Um, and it made me think about the first of the, I mean, the, the recent set of Black Lives Matter protests, the first one um, that I went to that was like the first big one Chicago had, where in a span of 10 minutes, Lori Lightfoot put up every single bridge in yeah. Chicago mm-hmm. protesters mm-hmm. and installed a curfew and mm-hmm. authorized the use of tear gas against protesters. And, and I'm remembering how it felt to be outside with three of my friends during that. Um, and feeling really, I mean, we talked about feeling betrayal. I mean, we've known Lori Lightfoot as a cop. And so I don't think I felt mm-hmm. betrayal in the sense of like Lori Lightfoot personally, but I think I did mm-hmm. feel betrayed in the sense of like being being told that like progressive or like, I don't know if you want to put, if I want to put that in quotes, but like progressive or liberal or like democratic candidates are about making things safer where like in that moment that felt like I, we weren't safe. Like no one who was out protesting in that moment was was safe, right? I was safer mm-hmm. because I'm white. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna clarify that, right? Like I, I was the safest person probably of of the group that I was with. Okay, I have a thought that is. I get. I receive what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I also think that Lori Lightfoot. I didn't vote for her. I don't think that she should be the mayor. And I think that she probably saved some people from dying during COVID that 
had there been a different mayor wouldn't have been there. So maybe it's a, a matter of like, I don't know what Angela Davis is thinking. <laughs> maybe it's a matter of like looking at the whole table. And so if the whole table has all of these things going on, there are some things that liberals will be better on. And so in terms of the whole table, we don't have to worry about that because we have more energy to focus on the stuff like abolishing the police um, because we don't have to worry about getting people to wear masks or people being out in the streets uh, and not sheltering in place. And so maybe it's about like managing everything going on at the table, which doesn't mean that people aren't harmed by liberals because I think that is one of the most insidious, like I, I, I think in terms of anti-racism, it's hard, it's easier to talk to someone who's blatantly racist than it is to talk to somebody who doesn't know that they are racist and living in a racist system. And so I think we all know this because of the work that we've done. And yet <laughs> there, um, like it, it does make it harder to work on racism when people are literally being lynched by the police and, um, and maybe if they weren't being lynched by the police in the streets, we could work on uh, like yeah. other systems that liberals don't really start participating in. All right, something you said, well, what you said resonates with me. Like I mentioned to my family, like I was, uh, I was pretty, I guess maybe just, I don't remember what I said exactly, but it was like disappointed how quickly, um, progressive mayors and governors gave in to like ordering in the national guard or mm -hmm. um essentially cracking down on protesters like immediately with um, curfews and stuff. with curfews with everything that happened in chicago and this it wasn't just like a chicago action it was like everywhere they did this mm -hmm. um in the fear of like bad actors um and they did that with almost no hesitation almost universally and it was really I would say eye-opening to like see that fear happen so quickly um in reportedly like progressive places so you said that to your family and they said and they said it's not fear I don't know they said this is something along the lines of I don't know looters are bad oh um and then we watched the uh la 92 document or la 92 the documentary yeah you should come yeah. to our doc club sometime which was a very interesting watch so in the in a present context and it gives a lot of context to like why people reacted so quickly to things um because la like the rodney king riots were wild what do you think about, so I, one thing I sent you, I think, was um, the Poor People's Campaign March that happened online. And um, a lot of it was about, like, what do you think about for the white people on the call or on the show? <laughs> what do you think about um, having the right to vote and the people who don't have access to vote now? who like live in this country. <laughs> um, and what I want to know what you think about that. Is that just a, a distraction to talk about that? Or is that something that we should think about that like we have, I don't know. I, I just thought it, it was like coming up a lot in that pro in that like 
it wasn't, it wasn't a protest. It was like supposed to be a March, but then it was online. Um, it was a coming up a lot about like, we fought so much to get this. <laughs> and it just, I hadn't really thought of that in our last conversation. And so I'm interested in what you think about uh, giving up access to something that we know other people still don't have access to. Does that make sense? Like willingly giving it up. That does make sense. I think, I, I feel like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to like formulate my thoughts and it's a little challenging. Um, I feel like it is maybe a little bit of a distraction. I think it's important, right? And I, I also feel like as a person who does have the right to vote, I don't think it's fair for me or it's right, especially like as a white person who has the right to vote to say to people who don't have the right to vote, um, who, who have been disenfranchised, like, but you don't really want this thing that you say that you want. You want this instead. Like, I don't think that, I think that that's shitty and like paternalistic. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that in some ways I'm like, those, the groups that have been disenfranchised, I feel like we need to offer them something more. Like they, like we need to ask, we need to like demand more for those groups than voting. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't think voting is, is enough. I don't know. I feel like sort of throughout this, I guess. And the reason that I feel a little bit conflicted about Angela Davis's quote is this idea that like voting is, is safety. And I, I don't know that it, I think it makes people feel safe. I don't think it is. I don't know that it actually is safe or that it's it, like, like i don't know i think it's part of that like doing everything right so you can have the receipts mentality or like that might be a part of it like if if you enter into a dialogue with somebody and their first question is well did you vote and your answer isn't yes then they're going to immediately pass you off as oh well you don't even care so like I feel like part of that is just having the receipts to say, I've done everything within my power and the system doesn't work. So I'm going to burn down the system. <laughs> mm. um, I do think that voting is really important and it will continue to be important until we have a revolution and dismantle the system because like the constitution, declaration of independence, all that stuff is like, like, that's that's the national religion that's what our country runs on and like it's going to be really important until it's not um and i when i think about that what i'm thinking about is that when you contact an elected official they're they're gonna listen to you if you can vote for them they don't really care what you have to say if you're not and like like that is a really important way to hold people accountable because they are the people who have a lot of impact um, especially in like smaller offices. So I, I really think that um, being able to hold politicians mm -hmm. accountable by being a voter is important. I also think we do have to remember that um, like the ways that people have been disenfranchised, how, how I think being able to vote just in general is related to a lot of other like status things. So like when black people weren't able to vote in the South because they were there were uh, literacy tests or poll taxes or there were people standing outside the polling place with guns. Um, like that was also related to 
well, first of all, because they couldn't vote, they couldn't get black representatives in Congress who might change policy. But also like that was related to their status as people who were often imprisoned. And um, like, I don't know, I think that there's a lot of other inequities that are, that come along with your uh, access to the vote. And so if you, to the vote can um, help with other inequities um, mm -hmm. because the system becomes accountable to you um, even if the election system isn't great. I, I think there's like a little bit of a connection between maybe not, maybe this is a dumb thing I'm about to say, but I think between marriage access and voting access, like maybe we don't think that marriage is like a great thing and we want, and we want to like get rid of the concept of a lot of the traditions of marriage, but we still want everybody to have access to the things that everyone else has. <laughs> and so maybe we think voting is flawed and that, um, that there's like a better way to do things, but it, but it, for the current moment, it is, uh, it, we should make sure that everybody has access to the things that we have access to. It's funny that you bring that up. I, uh, an artist that I actually, I went to, she was like an, an, uh, an outside artist that did, that gave, did like a workshop for the teen program. I'm a part of at the MCA. This was back in like, uh, like January. She had us, she does, her name is Angela Davis Bacon. Um, I will, I'll send you all her profile and then you can like link it if we ever post Amazing. things. Amazing. So cool. Um, she does these like really awesome like text-based uh, printmaking pieces. And she had this whole project uh, called like the Lavender Menace that was about that, that was about the idea that where she, she identifies as queer and is, and was saying basically like queer people shouldn't be fighting for marriage, right? Because ma the, the, the right, like, you know, same sex marriage, right? It is not about like queer liberation. It's about queer assimilation, right? And it's about like, especially cis wealthy, the queer people wanting to like become more like cis wealthy straight people yes. right it is and there are things that you can't access if you can't get married it's like it's like english like i would like it so that to be so that you can function in this country and not speak english and yet i would teach english to people because there are things you can't access currently if you don't speak english and, and that's about assimilation too. It's about taking the current power system and reinforcing it. It totally is. <laughs> but I, um, for like what I think I can do right now, I would still, I would still help somebody to learn English if they asked me. All of that is about, they're all about assimilating into power systems. Anything that has to do with access is about power. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's like, I, I disagree with the premise, but I will still do the work or something <laughs> because, uh, I don't know, but cause I just want to show up for what people are saying that they want. And I know that people want to vote. I know that some people want to get married and I know uh, that people want to have jobs and stuff. And so if, if I can help to provide access to something, um, and elevate people into a power situation, I think I want to do that, but maybe that's wrong. I feel like, I guess my fear with assimilation and that sort of thing is like, I felt very frustrated. I mean, I was, when, when was, when did the Supreme Court rule that gay marriage was legal? When was that? Was that 15? 14, 15, something like that. 
I was a young person um, when that happened. And like, I remember that meant a lot to me then. I was, you know, cause I was like whatever, 13 or 14 at the time and, and was sort of like new into this world of like LGBT things and was feeling very like fresh and fragile. Um, and- So young, so fresh. Yeah, I mean, I, that, I mean, that's legitimately how I, how I felt, and I felt very like affirmed by that. And I definitely like... felt like, I mean, I definitely felt like, and it was sort of advertised to me as like, and this is it, this is great, we won, that's it, that's the end. And I think I continue to be frustrated now by the number of like, I mean, just again, especially like wealthy white cis gays who can't, who've who've stopped pushing and who don't yeah. push, especially who yeah. don't recognize policing is a queer issue and that prisons are queer issues and like that like like that we can't or, or even that there's other groups of people who also can't get married and so this thing that you're holding is like we want this thing and it's like okay yeah. there's also people with disabilities often can't get married so but like, i think know. all of all of these things we're talking about is like it's a problem if we decide that the work is done right it's a problem <laughs> if we decide that like we did it <laughs> but all along the way if you were someone that was like this is like a heteronormative thing to begin with you know then I think it's different than, and you like continue to, you continue the work after it's been, after one part has been achieved, then that's different than like the people who sit back and are like, we have full rights now and pride but shirts a target. Another example I'm thinking of that is inspired by what you, you're talking about is like access to loans for college, which has like crippled the entire, an entire generation. Like the idea was everybody should have access to college. And then the implementation was everybody gets access to take out loans to go to college and also an entire societal expectation that you go to college. It's the same with the Affordable Care Act. Like everybody should have national health insurance. Mm -hmm. it, we literally would not have had health, health care without the Affordable Care Act. And it was the worst. It's the worst. Insurance is the worst. It is mm -hmm. the worst. <laughs> and it's not a solution to anything. And we would not have had health care for seven years without the Affordable Care Act, mm -hmm. which is a national health insurance program. Right. The idea is that everybody should have health insurance. So everybody has to buy health insurance. The idea is everybody should have health care. Yeah. And so then and the it, step that they took was yeah. health insurance, which is just another trap. Yeah but we needed healthcare and we would not have been able, we didn't have healthcare until we got on um, Alinacare mm -hmm. through the Affordable Care Act. So I think I really hear like marriage is not something that we should necessarily uh, push for everything, everyone, and maybe voting isn't even necessarily something that we think everybody should have to do or that it's even a mechanism for change. But at the same time, we're trying to figure out ways to make, to fix problems. And I think that they're like, specifically with like the student, like access to student loans, that's a bad example of uh, how this was implemented because it's put people in a really bad position. It's put an entire generation in a really bad position mm -hmm. because it wasn't thought through what, what the actual problem was and how to actually address no, it. No, it was thought through. There were like, all these people are gonna spend all this money and then we will make all this money. Yeah, but I guess I guess when we voted for it, I didn't vote. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't I wasn't old enough at the time. I think what we've been saying consistently throughout this episode is that things are complicated. I think it's all I pretty think, simple. 
I want to, I don't know. I think I want to push a little harder on the like, cause I don't know. I'm definitely feeling, I'm definitely feeling right now. Like I don't want, I don't want to vote and I don't, I'm not confident that I will. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I want to push a little harder in the sense that like, I think, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say like flat out, like I don't trust people. I don't trust moderates and I don't trust moderates to not, stop pushing the second Joe Biden is elected. Right. I don't trust I that because yeah. I feel like a lot of moderates stopped pushing when Obama was elected. And I feel like yeah. you know, a lot of like gay moderates stopped pushing when gay marriage, you yeah. know, like, like yes. I feel like yes. that's pattern. Yeah. I feel like yeah. you're talking about like, we need to align with liberals. I don't know that the way to do that. I, I think in some ways the way to do that is to drag the liberals with us. Yeah. Not to meet the liberals where they're at and then say, oh, okay, yes. it's rough now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I feel like voting is doing the like, we give you what you want and then you do this for us now. And then they're like, but what if we just didn't do that? Um, or sort of like, but why are you still mad? Yeah, I don't know. Like it just, yeah. maybe I should make that disclaimer. I do know. I, I feel like, I'm, I don't know. I feel like I'm in a place where I do know. Um, or like at least given the given the evidence that I have, I don't trust that moderates and liberals won't just stop the second Joe Biden is elected. And like, in some ways I feel like I'm willing to like, to not vote, right. And to not reaffirm that establishment and to like force the liberals and the moderates to, to try to like come along with me. Mm -hmm. It makes so much sense. I'm prepared to do what you think. Honestly, I voted for, uh, who you told me to vote for, for the primary, because I trust you both. And it seems like I can imagine both of you are going to do something different. So I'll have to decide, but I feel like super, I'm waiting to find out what we should do. Cause I totally trust you. I trust you, even though you don't trust people. And I think what you're saying is wise. And I'm trying to learn from that wisdom. And at the same time, offer up some experience as someone who has already voted and lived just a short amount of time longer than you. So I totally hear and receive what you're saying. Can we do an ending thing? Sure. What should it be? What did we do last time? We did the, what are you doing to be kind to yourself? And what, and how did you, what was yours? She was like, how did you challenge the like white cis hetero heteronormative patriarchy? How about what are you reading? Let's do that. Sucker. Yeah. Um, well, I took a nap yesterday and I took a nap today and that was my self-care and I am reading Native Son by Richard Wright because uh, we were supposed to read it my freshman English class and we read Black Boy instead so I bought the book and I hadn't read it and the libraries were closed so I was like I'm gonna read this book. I like Richard Wright. So that's interesting. It's actually really fun because it takes place on the south side of Chicago. So like when he talks about the streets, I know exactly where the guy is, which is like really, it just feels really um, personal, but obviously it's not fun. It's not fun content. Um, It does relate to our current time, of course. And then, well, I don't know. I feel like uh, I've done to challenge the white, just heteronormative patriarchy. I had a good time chilling at, not really chilling, but I had a good time at Miguel de Valle's house the other day, and um, it just felt like a really direct way to challenge the 
whites this hetero moment of patriarchy. <laughs> Self-care. I've been trying to be really intentional about stepping away from work. I've been on a couple of calls and things. I had an interview uh, but for a job, but I am trying really hard to like be intentional and giving myself some time to rest, um, which is not necessarily challenging like the, the cis-hetero white patriarchy, but I think it's definitely also challenging like capitalism and ableism around like you need to be productive all the time um or else you're wasting your time because i feel like i fight that feel I'm, i've been fighting that feeling a lot this week of being like you're wasting your time or i'm like i'm actually taking my dog on a walk is not wasting time and also and like reading a book is not wasting my time like the, the like these things that are like if it's important to me and it makes me feel good then it's not wasting my time and uh for what i've been reading i will i started listening to um the um our prisons obsolete by angela davis so I'm gonna listen to that some more when I'm on the road tomorrow and then I'll, you know, maybe next time we come back, I'll update y'all. Self-care for me, I have a more rigid schedule, which maybe it doesn't seem like self-care, but it has been helpful for me uh, because I'm waking up at a certain time and I'm starting to work at a certain time and I'm ending work at a certain time. And that means that I stop working at a certain time actually. Uh, which is nice having a rigid schedule and not feeling like there's something left undone in my office at all times of the day. What am I reading? Well, Addie wants me to say that I'm reading I'm Afraid of Men, but I haven't read um, this in a while. So I will need to continue reading that. that. I'm really so reading. Good. It's so good. Okay, I'll, I will finish reading it. I've I always recommend it. books to Dan and he never reads them. That's not true. I've read. He's read one. Northanger Abbey. Which I recommended to him like the first month we started dating. So I've like I've really changed my taste since then. Yeah, that book is so good. To finish my thought, what I'm actually reading is Flatland by Edwin Abbott Abbott, who was an abbot. Um, and it is <clears throat> not that interesting, so I won't get that into it. But it's like a mathematical discussion of the issues of Victorian society. Um, and how am I challenging white cis heteronormative capitalist capitalist patriarchy? patriarchy? Um, I'm trying to move forward the question of anti-black racism in the FDL. So I'm just like tossing out little, hey, what's going on with this every every week? And so far, we've had the one meeting, and maybe they'll have more meetings. You should talk more about that next time. What oh, up? What's the FDL? What's the FDL? The FDL is the Frontiers Development Laboratory, which is this program that I'm taking part in this summer. I am struggling to be kind to myself, but when I am really living in it, I am reading and sitting outside in our hammock and snuggling with Vince and um not getting bit by Vince, but like knowing my boundaries around Vincent. <laughs> when do you do that? <laughs> That's when I'm being kind to myself and um, going on walks. And I'm reading um, In the Dream House, which is so good. Everybody should read it. And the forum is so interesting. I can't really describe it. It's not essays, but it's like short little chapters that are so interesting. And Julia, are you reading that? 
no, that's okay. (laughs) And, uh, um, also Asada, the autobiography of Asada Shakur with. Oh my God. It's on my, I got it from the library (laughs) on my desk. I'm going to read it after Native Son. Amazing. That's why I'm not reading it. by Angela Davis. This podcast is recorded on Ohlone and Potawatomi and Miami and Peoria land. Our producer is Sonia Berg. Want to support them? Look in the episode description to buy them a cup of coffee. Our logo is made by Julia's sister, Sophia. She is 12 and a Democrat who doesn't agree with everything the Democrats stand for. Our theme song is by some TikTok users that I cannot pronounce, but they will be listed in our episode description.